Good morning, depending on wherever you find yourself in the world today. You're listening to What We Should Have Learned in School. I am coming to you today directly from the road. I'm actually in the middle of a Finnish road trip. My fiance got a job offer here in Finland a couple months ago as the country manager for Under Armour. So we're going around meeting his customers. I'm kind of doing my own thing and uh, really enjoying this, this little road trip. And so enough about me and my fiance and what we're up to. Today's episode, I really wanted to use as a way to kind of put a little bit of a bow tie on all the things that we've talked about over the past two months. So over the past two months, we've talked about things like the spotlight effect. We've talked about the notion of catharsis and how venting emotions doesn't actually work the way we think that it does. Uh, Another episode, we talked about the introspection illusion, uh, which similarly to catharsis is something we believe in strongly, but when we really look with logic and with new research, we find that actually these ideas, these psychological ideas of introspection or catharsis uh, can sometimes do more harm than good. And so where does that leave us today? There's been a common thread within the past few episodes the fact that we're cognitively biased, that our perception is actually not perfect. It's far from perfect. It's useful, but not perfect. And so it can really be summed up as as thought is a really common thread. And you've heard me use that word maybe hundreds of times over the course of this podcast series. And so when people hear thought, they tend to imagine I'm talking about personal thinking, like the thoughts we're actually aware of, like, oh, what am I going to have for dinner today? Or, oh, isn't that dress so ugly that that lady is wearing and blah, blah, blah. So then a natural question that arises for people is, yeah, Amy, I understand everything you're saying, but my thoughts are out of control. My mind is always busy. I'm always worrying about something or ruminating or obsessing about something or thinking about what my next steps are, that there is no space. I I can't even conceive of the possibility of having a less busy mind. And so today, I really want to talk about that because this understanding, this line of inquiry that you've been engaged with with me over the course of however long you've been listening to what we should have learned in school, it's really encouraging you to look beyond just the personal ping pong of thoughts. Uh, Oh, I, I feel really sexy in this dress one day and then the next day I feel like I'm a complete hog beast, right? It's that ping pong and we talked about that last week too. Uh, with I think the example of the cake, you know, that one voice in our head that's saying, oh, you know, you want the cake, you deserve it, you work so hard. And then as soon as you eat the cake, why did you eat the cake, right? It's a very um, unstable place to identify with. It's, It's something that when we start to see that it's very common and normal for, for human beings to have seemingly opposite thoughts occur very quickly, almost, almost simultaneously, it feels. And so we don't really have to control our thinking. That's a really common conclusion people draw when they hear me speak initially. But we don't have to do that. You can have an incredibly fulfilling life 
without managing or trying to control to think more positively or to try to control the way you speak to your husband or your mother, etc. So that might sound a little strange, but we're going to dive into deeper detail today about that. And before we get into the crux of today's show, I just want to kind of give a metaphor for this inquiry into subtractive psychology that the the experience of actually looking to drop concepts instead of add concepts, to have less on your mind instead of adding more to-dos or more good ideas that then inevitably in the future you feel you won't live up to and that you need to work harder. So I'm never talking about willpower and pulling yourself up by the bootstraps because if we think of how human beings learn a language, for instance, I've done a lot of traveling and I find it so remarkable with what such ease and grace native speakers can speak their own language. They didn't try to learn language. When, when you're two or three years old, it's natural result of being exposed to the environment around you. And this conversation, this inquiry, this community, where we're looking at subtractive psychology, we're looking at actual mental health, not mental illness. There is a distinction between those two things. That when you are immersed in this conversation and, and in this community, naturally insights begin to pop, new ideas begin to pop, old habits and ways of thinking naturally begin to just not make sense anymore. The more that you really get a strong grasp of the fundamentals of what I'm talking about, of what it is to be a human being and how we all navigate the world. Again, it's very difficult in other methodologies to find things that are universal, that are predictable, and that are constant. I want to look at what is the foundation that is universal to every human being. This goes beyond our personal opinions and belief systems and how we were raised and what happened to us and our personality type and our mental health diagnoses. So I'm going to share a couple concrete examples with you of what I've seen and offer a potentially different pathway than perhaps you're used to looking down when it comes to truly greater well-being, a higher quality of life and more grace, more ease as you continue to bump up against things in life that you absolutely uh, do not want to have happen or do not want to experience. Take a listen. The ego tends to kick us when we're down. It scratches, it bites, it pulls our hair. And yet we're so loyal to that egoic sense. Those, those thoughts that come through our mind, we believe them and hold on to them so strongly. The worries, the fears, the anxieties, the insecurities that keep us up at night and then that nagging voice that's disguised as our better self, quote-unquote, pops in with its remarks and judgments. Oh, we should know better than this. We should be sleeping through the night. We've done this training, and we're a meditator, and this and that and the other thing. That mental ping-ponging is truly exhausting when identified with, when believed in, when every whim and judgment is taken as truth. It's taken as how it is, how we are, how the world is. Even in things like 
mental illness forums or depression forums or Facebook groups. It's so interesting to watch ego at work. What I've seen happen often is that someone will post really authentically in the moment that they feel utterly hopeless. They're fed up. They're exhausted. They just don't know what to do anymore. They're contemplating suicide, perhaps. And then, invariably, other people will jump to offer either motivational-type responses like, no, you can do this, or they'll offer up a list of things to do, like, have you gotten any exercise? How much time do you spend on the internet? Maybe you should do a seven-day fast. Maybe you should try yoga. Have you read this book? Have you done meditation? Have you done this thing or that thing or this thing or that thing? And sometimes what then happens is that the person that is in pain automatically rejects all of those advices. No, I know for a fact that that wouldn't help. Or, oh, I've already tried that. No, that doesn't work. What's less obvious to see, however, is that all of that well-meaning advice and all of that innocent resistance is still playing into the ego's trap. It's still supporting the assumption that something is fundamentally wrong or different with that person who's experiencing pain. So I do invite you that next time someone around you is in pain to stop for a moment and instead of giving kind of an automatic or first response, to get quiet and see what occurs for you to say. What new wisdom could emerge from you? You see, the ego is not to be trusted. It's not consistent. The plethora of ideas we have about what kind of person we are and how our plight is worse or better than the next guy or gal isn't generally where a lasting sense of health, of well-being, of joy, or even where a high quality of living, high caliber of living exists. It doesn't exist in that ping-pong match of the ego. When people say the ego is an illusion, they mean that it isn't solid. It isn't made out of anything tangible. The ego is a concept in and of itself. <laughs> An accumulation of ideas and beliefs we have about ourselves, about others, and about how the world works. The ego is fundamentally nothing more than cultural and psychological conditioning of being exposed to certain ideas numerous times throughout the course of our lifetime and identifying heavily with those concepts that we no longer see them as just ideas or possible ways to be in the world. We take it as absolutely, this is how it is. This is true. This is the kind of person I am. I am broken. I'm effed up. I'm messed up. Or it manifests on the other side. I'm better than other people. I'm prettier. I'm smarter. It's all in the dance of ego. It's all a part of dynamic expression, changing, fleeting, evolving, developing. So the next time that you 
find yourself in a situation where you're kind of defending your problems. You're kind of in a a competition with others of how miserable your life is and how much worse off your circumstances are or how off and wrong and messed up your biochemistry is, you know, more than the next person. When, when When you jump to defend how alone you feel, how uniquely broken and messed up you believe yourself to be, I invite you to just stop for a moment and dare to question that. Dare to look at yourself, not as your ideas of self or your thoughts of who you are and what's wrong with your life, but can you put your attention on what's behind all that, on what a human being actually is at the core. Again, what is a universal definition of a human being? And the more that you catch this in yourself or you observe this in other people, you'll start to realize that this is really common, that people kind of experience this uh, sense of, I kind of want to call it like... (laughs) unworthy specialness that somehow they are so specially screwed up (laughs) that there's no hope. You know, I I laugh not because the sensation of that is, is incredibly painful. There's no doubt about that. That's not what I'm kind of finding humorous. What I find humorous is that there's so many millions and millions of people with very similar thinking about how unworthy they are or how they should always work on themselves and strive to be better. They really feel separate, alone, and different. And what I'm kind of proposing is that we're not as different as we believe ourselves to be. That through the creative power of being a human being, every single human being experiences a dynamic range of emotion, sensation, and thought and belief. There's a really lovely exercise by a man named Muji, and I'm going to post that in the show notes for today because he's really pointing people to look at what is neutral about being human beings, to to look at the fact that every human being is essentially a blank canvas, that we are the canvas essentially. That's our true nature. That's a more pure definition of what it is to be you, of what it is to be me, rather than identifying who we are as the different colors of paint that get splashed on the canvas. Those fade, those change when other layers of paint come on top of it. But the canvas is steady. The canvas is constant. And so the process by which we experience our Human lives is always the same, even though our emotions, our opinions, our thoughts are differing moment to moment, day to day, year to year, decade to decade. Again, my name is Amy Leo. You've been listening to What We Should Have Learned in School. You can subscribe to this podcast by going to amyleo.com or checking the subscribe button on either iTunes, your Android device, or on YouTube. Next month, we're going to have some guest speakers that are going to talk a little bit more about this, kind of give it a little bit more teeth. We're going to talk about real-world things people are up against in the world of addiction 
and not only addiction to substance and alcohol, for instance, but also addiction to approval from others, for instance, maybe money, food, body image. So make sure to subscribe again so you don't miss all those goodies coming your way next month. Until next time, stay curious, take care, and keep rocking.